Two Sabbaths ago, we began this short mini-series entitled Sold Out. In that opening sermon, we considered this line, I am sold out on being a member of the church. We carefully examined the red-letter words of Jesus in Matthew 18, and we were reminded that you can't love the Lord of the church without loving the church of the Lord. You remember that? There were some who wondered if that sermon was a denigration of the ministry of one of our campus worship fellowships. The leaders of that worship fellowship, in fact, were concerned that that was the impression I gave. And so we spent an evening together this week in prayerful, helpful dialogue. I told them then what I am telling you now, and that is I am grateful not only for their volunteer leadership with that worship fellowship. They do it gratis. But I'm also thankful, and I know I speak for you as well, we are thankful to God for the mission they have embraced to connect with those who have heretofore been disconnected from Jesus. Because of our helpful conversation this week, we took the first important steps in what we together believe will be a fruitful partnership for Christ and His kingdom. And for that, I'm truly grateful. Let's pray. Oh God, be our vision. Be our vision in a subject we have never heard dealt with from any pulpit, let alone this one. But a subject we must no longer ignore. Be our vision in the midst of the teaching. For your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The cover story on the, I have it right here, the cover story on the latest issue of Liberty Magazine is entitled, A Global Slaughter of Christians. The piece is written by Kirsten Power. She is with the uh, Daily Beast online. She's a columnist syndicated with them. She begins her column with these words. Let me read them to you. Christians in the Middle East and Africa are being slaughtered, tortured, raped, kidnapped, beheaded, and forced to flee the birthplace of Christianity. One would think this horror might be consuming the pulpits and pews of American churches. Not so. The silence has been nearly deafening. They say a picture is worth 10,000 words, so let's consider a picture together for a moment. September 22, in the city of Peshawar, Pakistan, the All Saints Church is just letting out, having celebrated communion together, out of that historic 130-year-old edifice. As the congregates emerge, two Taliban terrorists place themselves in the midst of the emerging congregation, and in a blinding orange explosion, 85 Christians are killed and 100 more wounded. This is the deadliest attack thus far on Christians in that Islamic nation. The young woman you see weeping right now, we're putting her picture on the screen for you. This young woman is sobbing beside the coffin of her brother who was killed in that blast. She's a Christian, 
so was her brother, followers of the Lord Jesus. Nobody is quite sure how many Christians are martyred every year on this planet. Researchers for the, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and that would be in Massachusetts, they have concluded that in the first ten years of the 21st century, one million people have been martyred. That figures out to about 100,000 a year. Wow. But the people at, uh, at the Open Doors International, which is an organization that monitors the 50 most dangerous countries on earth in which to be a Christian, and that would be North Korea and Syria and China and Indonesia and Sudan and Nigeria and on and on and on, they put the minimal figure at 1,200 Christians martyred a year. That would be 100 a month. So why such a large discrepancy? Well, number one, because you can understand this verification is, is simply a tough task to do. And number two, because it all depends on how you define a martyr. So let me give you the definition that the, that the CSGC, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, has embraced. We'll put it on the screen for you. Who are martyrs? Martyrs are believers in Christ who have lost their lives prematurely in situations of witness as a result of human hostility. That's a fairly basic definition of, of a martyr. Now, Franz Veerman, director of the Open Doors World Watch List that we just referred to, he responds, there is a huge gray area around the question of martyrs. When Christians are isolated and denied clean drinking water, think through this with him, they're denied clean drinking water and medical care because they are Christians and refuse to become Muslims, and thus they perish quicker than others, are they martyrs? In a strict sense, they aren't. But when the whole mechanism behind their deaths is studied, we can say that they are. John Allen came out with a book this last fall entitled The Global War on Christians. And he says maybe in the end the numbers aren't quite that critical. I'll put his words on the screen. The truth is two-thirds of the 2.3 billion Christians in the world today live in dangerous neighborhoods. They are often poor. They often belong to ethnic, linguistic, and cultural minorities. And they are often at risk. And ultimately, I think, making that point is more important than being precise about the death toll, end quote. So should we care at all? I mean, come on, please. It, it's tough enough being a Christian here in America today. Have you noticed? I mean, the way the press and Hollywood make fun and poke at us, and we have to drive to church in our shiny SUVs, we have to lower the shades just a little so that we can watch our favorite DVD on the way to church. That's what, look, look what we have to put up with. And then when we get here, we got these crazy wooden pews, no padding. We understand what it means to suffer for the Lord Jesus, do we not? How hard it is to be a follower of the Lord in the United States today. Tell that to her, will you? Tell that to her. And by the way, let's not minimize the cost that some even in this land pay in order to stand boldly for their faith. But please... Let us not consider ourselves great sufferers for the kingdom of our Lord. Not yet, anyway. But does our Lord have anything to say about martyrdom? Actually, surprisingly, plenty, plenty to say. Pull out your Bible. Let's go. We're going to look at only red-letter words as every uh, piece in this little three-parter miniseries is done. Gospel of John. Open, the, open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. While you're doing that, we'll flip it up on the screen, the title slide for today's teaching, because we have people watching live stream. We have people watching on television. Some of you listening right now. See that website? 
www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for this little mini-series. It, it, it ends today. This is sold out. It ends today. Sold out number one was, I'm sold out of be, about being a member of the church. Sold out number two, I'm sold out of be, about being a missionary to the world. And sold out number three, I'm sold out about being a martyr for the kingdom. This is three. So on, when, when you're doing this online, just look for part three. Click on. By the way, there's study guides today. You have it. But nothing to, no fill in the blanks. I wanted you to have all the quotes we've just read plus others coming up. So you have the study guide. But let's go to John 16. These are the words of Jesus. Bright red in my Bible, the NIV today, John 16. This is the eve. He will be executed tomorrow. At this time, tomorrow he's dead. All right? John 16, verse 1. Jesus speaking. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. I've been telling you guys, there are only 11 now in the room. I've been, I've been telling you, gentlemen, this so that you will not... And, and the Greek word here for fall away, as we put it in English, scandalizo, from whence comes our word scandalize. I'm telling you this, it's in the passive. I'm telling you this so that you will not be scandalized, I, which means fall away from the faith. I don't want you to fall away from the faith. So I'm telling you, abide in the vine and, and I in you. I'm telling you all of this. The Spirit will come. I'm telling you so that you won't fall away. Because, verse 2, keep going. They will put you out of the synagogue. The majority religion will say, you're out of here. As a minority, you will be driven out. They will put you out of the synagogue. Keep reading. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Hit the rewind button right here. And let's hold that button down until you get back 500 years. 500 years ago, in the fertile plains of southern Italy... They're recruiting an army. And you know what the promise is? If you'll join this army, you go to heaven. You get the bliss of eternal life for simply joining this army. We have a, we have a heretical sect up in the northwest Piedmonts. We'll go and we will, we will slaughter them on behalf of God. We'll eliminate the Waldenses. And then you go to heaven. I have walked those alpine pathways in northwest Italy. My friends Kathy and Conrad Dembski, I have stood where the Waldenses lived. That bloody, bloody slaughter. By the way, I keep it in the back of my Bible, John Milton's sonnet on the late massacre in the Piedmonts. That bloody massacre in the name of God. Jesus said, I want to tell you something. They're going to kill you, and they're going to think they're doing a service to God. Fast forward back 500 years to Taliban terrorists who have been told, if you, will, if you will blot out these hated Christian infidels, you go to paradise. Jesus said, I'll tell you something. They will think for Allah or for God. They are killing you. Verse 3, Jesus says, but they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. You cannot truly know God. You cannot truly know Allah and destroy innocent men, women, and children in His mighty name. Only when your holy book is misunderstood do you behave that way. That's not in your book. Nevertheless, Jesus is clear. Such tragedies will be performed in the name of God before Christ returns to earth. <laughs> Jesus doesn't even, he, he certainly doesn't beat around the bush on what conditions will be like on this planet just before he returns. Turn back to Matthew chapter 24. Only red letters today. 
Matthew 24. This is called the little apocalypse. This is like the little book of Revelation in the Gospels. Matthew 24. These are the signs of the end. Jesus says, before I return, this will be one sign that you will see. Matthew chapter 24, drop down to verse 9, red letters. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. It's not a, exactly a, a recruiting brochure for new disciples, now is it? I mean, Jesus, please, did you, have to, did you have to say that? We're having a harder time in the third millennium getting them at all to be attracted to you, and then you go and blurt this out? Now, whom do you suppose is making this so hard for God? Who is turning and killing the friends of Jesus? Come on, this is not rocket science. Who do you suppose is doing this? You think God is doing it? Killing his own friends off? Can't be. So I'm reading just this, this week. I'm reading Desire of Ages, and I come across this chapter. Boy, dramatic about the final hours of John's young life. I'm talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. Put the words on the screen for you. Satan, desire of ages. Satan had been unwearied in his efforts to draw away the Baptist from a life of unreserved surrender to God. By the way, the same Satan that worked on John the Baptist works on you. Draw you away. Young are you? Yes, you are. Young, he's going to try to draw you away from that unreserved surrender. Don't, don't yield. Do not yield. But Satan failed with John, and he'll fail with you. And by the way, Satan had also failed to overcome Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. Satan had been defeated, and his rage was great. Now he determined to bring sorrow upon Christ by striking John, the one whom he could not entice to sin, that would be Jesus. He would cause to suffer. All right, I can't get you. I'm going to take him down. I'm going to take her down. I'm going to eliminate your friends on this planet. You'll feel the pain. That's what's going on. That picture a moment ago, that's what's going on. I'm taking down your friends, right and left. Desire of Ages goes on. Jesus did not interpose to deliver his servant. He knew that John would bear the test. But for the sake of thousands who in after years must pass from prison to death, John was to drink the cup of martyrdom. You see that? Martyrdom. Apparently, it's a part of God's strategic allowance. As the followers of Jesus should languish later, in later centuries, in lonely cells, or perish by the sword, the rack, or the faggot, that's that pile of kindling wood at the, at the base of a, where you're going to be burned at the stake. As they should languish, apparently forsaken by God and man, what a stay, what a comfort, what, a, what, a, what an embrace for their hearts would be the thought that John the Baptist, to whose faithfulness Christ himself has borne witness, had witnessed through a, had passed rather, through a similar experience, end quote. Turns out Jesus' red-letter prediction that before he returns, his followers themselves would experience martyrdom is indeed true. Just like John, how many times has the dark enemy of us all lashed out of God? I'll kill her. I'll kill him. And they get killed. 100,000 a year, 1,200 a year, who knows? If we're only 1,200 a year, 100 a month is, is abominably high. 100 Christians a month, the lowest figure possible. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. One more red-letter word from our Lord. The Apocalypse, the Bible's last book. 
God, I read from this book just a moment ago. Thank you, Callie, for that. Revelation 21. That was a God-sent word of hope. Revelation chapter 2. One more. This is it. Red letters. Jesus speaking. Revelation 2. You say, there are no red-letter words of Jesus in Revelation. Are you kidding? Chapters 2 and 3, solid red. Jesus is sending messages to the churches through elderly John and the Isle of Patmos. This is verse 10. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Suffer. I tell you the... What's the, what's the next word? I'm telling you it's the devil. The devil. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you, I like this, this is the new international. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Your translation probably reads, and I will give you the crown of life. The Greek word for that crown is stephanos. It's that little uh, Olympian uh, olive wreath. You know, they put it on your head when you won the race. When you won, when you won, you, you get this little wreath. It's called the stephanos. Not coincidentally, Stephanos, the very name of the very first Christian martyr, whose name was Stephanos, and we call him Stephen, right? I will give you a Stephanos. Be faithful to death. And I will give you a Stephanos. You know how Stephen died? You know how Stephen died? Come on. How did he die? He was stoned to death. That is, if I had a choice of a multiple choice, okay, this is your choice, I would not pick stoning. They just kept throwing stones until he's dead. Acts chapter 7 describes his prayer as they're hurling stones at him. And he looks up into the heavens and he says, I see the Son of Man standing by the right hand of God. You know what? That is an unusual picture because Jesus said, you'll see the Son of Man sitting by the right hand of God. But when Stephen is shown Jesus, he's not sitting, he's standing. It's like he's on the battlements of heaven and he's watching. This is the first that we are going to lose in this battle. But he's standing because he's saying to Stephen, it's okay. I am here with you. Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end. Stephanos. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the Stephanos. I will give you the crown of life. The red letter words of a God who himself was faithful unto his, his own crimson death on the cross. I need to say this. You need, please be reminded today, anything you go through, some of you are going through a tough time right now. Your heart is wrung out. You are suffering today, but you came to church anyway. God bless you. Whatever you're going through right now, God has already been through it. He's been through it. He's been through it. The first martyr, Standing, Jesus is. It's okay, Stephen. I'm with you. Be faithful unto death. It's interesting that the, the elderly disciple who penned these words, John Boy is now the oldest. He's the only surviving a, a disciple, apostle. By the way, he's the only one who dies a natural death. It's not like it was intended for him to die a natural death. Domitian, the emperor, threw John into a boiling cauldron of oil. But apparently the Lord who can stand in the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can sit in the oil with you as you're boiling and, and the flame will not kindle upon you. They had to pull the man out. <laughs> what went wrong? I don't know. Put him on Patmos. David 
Barrett and Todd Johnson, also from the Center of the Study of Global Christianity, we referred to a moment ago. They wrote the book, World Christian Trends, A.D. 30 to A.D. 2200, Christian Trends. And they have a chapter on martyrs. Let me just, just share this with you. They've divided the martyrs of the New Testament into two categories, the New Testament apostles and then, I mean the twelve apostles rather, and then the other New Testament apostles. You know about these. Simon Peter, was he martyred? Yes, he was crucified. Jesus said, you'll be, you, you, you'll be crucified. James, son of Zebedee, that would be John's older brother, he was beheaded. First disciple to die. John, we just talked about. Andrew was crucified. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, he was crucified. Matthew, Levi, stabbed. Thomas, speared. I've, been, I've stood on the spot in Madras, India, where his life ended. Speared. James the Less, stoned. James, uh, Judas Thaddeus, rather, clubbed. Simon the Zealot, crucified. Judas Iscariot, suicide. Now, here are the other New Testament apostles. Matthias, who took Judas's place, burned. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, beheaded. Barnabas, I didn't know this one. Barnabas, the uh, partner with Paul in ministry, he was stoned to death. Mark the Evangelist, little John Mark, who ran out because he couldn't handle the heat. John Mark himself was trampled to death in Alexandria, Egypt. James the Just, the stepbrother of Jesus, wrote the book of James, he was stoned. Luke the Evangelist, the good physician, he was hanged. And here's one I did not know. Timothy, the young pastor, bishop of Ephesus, eventually was beheaded. Every single one of them, except the one who wrote these red-letter words. Gone. Apparently, Jesus meant it. They will seek to kill you and do a service to God. Will it come true for you and me? Well, how do I know? Although I will share this sentence with you. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's not in your study guide. Prior to the last closing conflict, written a hundred years ago, these words, prior to the last closing conflict, many will be imprisoned. Many will be martyrs for Christ's sake in defense of the truth. Many. Will it happen? Well, I don't know, Dwight. I'm not a part of the 100,000 that are dying every year or the 1,200. I mean, you know, these people, I, I don't know who they are, men, women, and children. They go to their graves prematurely because of their faith in Jesus. What's the point of even talking about them? I mean, we've got enough problems here. Oh, do we? I want to go back to this uh, column, Kirsten Powers' column. She quotes the chief rabbi. Listen to this. The chief rabbi in the United Kingdom. His name, Lord Jonathan Sachs, who addressed Parliament December of 2011. I'll put his words. It's also in your study guide. Put the words on the screen for you. So this rabbi is addressing Parliament in London. I, the rabbi says, I have followed the fate of Christians in the Middle East for years, appalled at what is happening, surprised and distressed, that it is not more widely known. Then he quotes Martin Luther King, who said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. The rabbi goes on, that's why I felt I could not be silent today, end quote. Shall we remain silent of all communities of faith? We who believe that the apocalypse predicts, portends that before the return of Christ there will be a geo-religial political alliance on this planet over the subject of worship will require death as a penalty if their decree is resisted, shall we of all people, shall Seventh-day Adventists of all people maintain this awkward silence about our suffering and dying Christian brothers and sisters on this planet? Huh? Shall we? How did King put it? In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Do you want to do something about it? 
In closing, let me give you three, three steps you can take. Three of them. They're in your study guide. If you want to do something politically, politically, you'll be happy to know that there is a bill that has been sent to the Senate but is stalled right now. It's come out of committee. But most bills die out of committee because they never make it to the floor. This could be one of those. The, the number of the bill, because you need to write some to somebody. I'll give you a website as you see there. The number of the bill, S653. Title of the bill, Near East and South Central Asia Religious Freedom Act. It is a motion to hire an envoy from the State Department who will oversee the religious minorities in this most martyred section of the world in the Middle East. You can write Senator Harry Reid. Ask him to take that uh, petition out of holding. Bring it to the floor for a vote. Write your own senators. I have no idea who your senators are, so I can't give you their website, but you're, you can figure that out. You go to their website. You send them a note. You send them an email tonight, this afternoon. You just send them an email. Get that bill, S-653. Get it out of hold. Bring it to the floor for a vote. I tell you what, all it takes is 10 voters. And suddenly you have somebody's attention back in Washington. Why? Because you represent hundreds, perhaps thousands of others. Very few people take the initiative to write. So when you write, they listen. You want to do something politically? Odds of this bill making it to the floor are 14%, but I've never known you to be intimidated by odds like that. Go to that website. Three actions you can take. If you want to do something politically, do that. If you want to do something spiritually, you can do this. You can pray for the suffering. You want to have a name to pray for? Let me give it to you. In Togo right now, we have a church member named Bruno Ama in jail, potentially for life because of trumped-up charges against him. He, with his pastor, Antonio Montero, were jailed two years ago and have been held without trial over charges of ritual voodoo dismemberment. The charges are ludicrous. It's a pathological liar who has finally confessed he made the whole story up. Now, they let the pastor out about three weeks, four weeks ago. They won't let the elder out. Safe face, maybe. General Conference Council feels like it's a long shot for this man to be freed. Pray for him by name. You have it in your study guide. Pray for him by name. Pray for others by name. By the way, page 14, in your, page 14 in your worship bulletin today, Friday prayers for Muslims. You know what? Those terrorists, they don't reflect the majority at all. 1.4 billion, you think they're all like that? They're not. Pray on Fridays. My friends at Adventist Frontier Missions, got that website, afmonline.org. You go there. They'll tell you what to pray, how to pray on Fridays. Let's pray for our Muslim neighbors. Pray. The three actions you can take. Take political action, you can take spiritual action, or you can take personal action because you see there's one other way you can make a difference in this world. Now listen carefully. Some of you, listen carefully. And that is you may volunteer to step into that world on behalf of these martyrs. I'm not suggesting that you choose to become a martyr. Nobody makes that choice. And by the way, let me just tell you, more often than not, it's harder to live for Christ than to die for Him. It's much harder. Nothing wrong with... You're not, you're, not, you're not wimping out by living for him. So why don't you go? Pack your bags. Head off to some corner of the world that desperately needs a disciple of Christ to minister to them. Let me put John Allen's words back up on the screen. We read them a moment ago. The truth is, two-thirds of the 2.3 billion Christians in the world today live in dangerous neighborhoods. They are often poor. They often belong to ethnic, linguistic, and cultural minorities. They are often at risk. Go to those people, the poor, the at risk, the minorities. Go find them. Move in with them for a while. I'm not asking you to give you life. But for a while, move in with them. You may show up with a medical bag. You may show up with a teaching satchel. You may show up with a carpenter's box. Just show up. 
for a season. Share life with them. Let the Holy Spirit live out the radical love of Christ through you, living next door and in their midst. Some of you can do this. You can do it. I'm looking in your faces. You can do it. Don't go alone. Go with a friend then. But go. I mean, we can sit here and, and, and pray for the bills to come out of Congress. We can sit here and pray for people we don't even know. But it's a, there's a, it's a whole nother step for you to personally go to those at-risk people and say, I've come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We took a team of students and adults to India one summer. And while over in India, we were there for six weeks, I came across the book, Through Gates of Splendor. It's a life story of James Elliot, written by his young widow. While in college, Jim was burdened with this, with this passion to become a, a missionary. And so he started keeping a journal. Then he fell in love with a girl who shared his passion. That's always nice when you share the passion. She shared his passion for mission service. And so they ended, down, ended up down in Ecuador with four other American young couples, okay? They have this burning desire to share the gospel with the wild and unreached Huaorani Indians way up in the hinterland. Forested, unreachable people. They got a Cessna. They found out where a village was and they began to circle. Every day they'd circle over the village and they'd drop out these little love gifts. Hey, we're friends. Here's a little something you can use. We're friends. We're friends. One day they bumped into one of the Huaorani uh, natives as he's coming through the forest. They say, hey, get in the plane. They took him in the plane. They circled him over his own village. They said, listen, we want to meet more of your tribe. He finally got the message. He said, I'll bring them. It was a trap. They landed at Cessna on a, on a sandy beach along that river. Ten warriors leaped out of that jungle. All five American men were speared to death. All five martyred. Five widows back at camp. From Jim Elliott's journal, his widow would later share a sentence that has burned its way into the hearts of those of us who have read his story. Read it someday. It'll stir you to the depths. Here's Jim Elliott's line. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, you have to look at that. You have to look at that because you can't get it in one reading. Look at it some more. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. You can't keep your life. He said, Dwight, I'm going to be safe. I'm keeping my life. I'm going to keep my life till 90. Prove it. You can't keep your life. You cannot keep your life. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's as if, it's as if Jim were quoting Jesus. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, and no man can take it away from you. Nobody can take it away from you. She is no fool who gives what she cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. Wrote a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. It's Calvary's promise. Sold out. If you're sold out for Jesus, you have his promise. Sold out. If you're sold out for Jesus, you have his promise. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the Stephanos. You and Stephen both 
the Stephanos of life. Desire of Ages, this little chapter on John the Baptist, this is the last line in that chapter. Of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men and women, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. It doesn't get any higher than that. The weightiest trust and the most, the highest honor. So what's Christ calling you to do? You're pretty comfortable right now in your life, aren't you? Professionally, I mean. Academically. <laughs> Don't rock the boat. Life's coming up roses for me right now. I'm kind of glad. What is Christ calling you to do? What if what he called his friends in the first century, he calls for you? Come and die. Come and die by living. Come. Be faithful to death. I'll give you that crown. Come work for me. I need help. Work for me. You know where he is today, don't you? He's where they are. There'll be 100,000 of them that won't be here in 12 months. He's there. You know where they are? Jesus says, now come to where we are. And let's do this together. Would you take your Connect card, please? I'll give you an opportunity to respond to this teaching. Guests, we're delighted to have you. You just fill in your name, email address, that's all, if, you, if that's all you're comfortable with. We can't hear a teaching like this. It's the first time you have ever heard it, first time I have ever preached it. We can't hear a teaching like this and not make some response. And so our ushers are already moving. They're going to come in just a split second to receive this card from us. Turn the card over. We call this the My Next Step. Today is the next step side of the card. My next step today, I am willing to become a short-term missionary and go to serve this at-risk world. Thirty-five of you, by the way, last Sabbath said, I'll go short-term. We are absolutely delighted. We're going to Mexico. Three weeks in July, first of August. If you want to go, by the way, it's southern Mexico, it's safe. Nobody, nobody's going to get martyred down there. I just promise you that. But if you would like to go, I invite you to put a check mark right there. You say, do I come on? Give me something a little more risky. Do you know what? We sent an Andrews University co-ed just a few years ago. Jody Stout, friend of mine, her brother, Todd, pastoring in New York City right now, also a friend of mine. Her dad teaches at the Theological Seminary. Jody went to Taiwan as a student missionary. The bus rolled over on a mountain road and she was killed. Church was packed out one night when we had her funeral right here. There's no, there's no, no risk if you're serious about Jesus. There is risk. Of course there's risk. Calvary is the biggest risk of all. God will never ask you to do what he's not already done. And you'll never have a Calvary. Ever, ever, ever. If you have three, three weeks this summer, you could move your schedule around. We're going to send multiple teams, multiple teams to southern Mexico. Put a check mark there. We'll send you the information. You can, you can decide then. Put a check mark there if you're interested. Box number two, I will contact my senators and petition them to bring S653 to the Senate for, for a vote. Those of you watching on live streaming right now across this nation, you have a senator. You have two of them, as a matter of fact. You can write your senator. Put a check mark right here. This card is on our website. You contact them. We contact them. We've got two senators. And finally, number three, I will pray for the persecuted. I will pray by name if I know them. I will pray for the persecuted. And by the way, pray for the persecutors. Pray for them too.
Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for them. I want to pray with you right now. I'm going to ask the ushers, please, to stand. Let's pray. Oh, God. What do you want us to do? We can't just do nothing. So what can we do? There's some hearts right here who are, you are getting very specific with. I pray, Father, for him, for her, for courage, for radical loyalty. Just stay on it. You're calling all of us. Nobody gets a pass. You're calling all of us to take a bold stand where we are right now. Please grant us the heart of the Lord of Martyrs, the mind of the Lord of Martyrs, the very spirit of the Lord of Martyrs. Grant us Jesus and let us live this life as he would have us to. Take our morning tithes and offerings, receive them. Do something on this planet. Hasten the day when Christ Jesus will come. We pray in his name. Amen. Before you go, I'd like to take a moment and talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. So often we go to church or we listen to a sermon about the things that Jesus said or that which Jesus did. We learn all these facts about him, yet when it comes down to it, we sometimes realize we haven't actually come to know him personally ourselves. Or perhaps you've only recently discovered the love of Christ and you're wondering where you go from here. That's why I'd like to invite you to take advantage of this free book offer, The Little Classic Steps to Christ. Since this book was first penned, a century ago. It sold over 50 million copies. It's been translated into 135 different languages. You know what? The good news of the gospel is so direct and so sublimely simple that we often look right past it. So what this book does is it will help you see the good news in all its glory, in all its beauty. What you're going to discover here are clear, simple steps to help you enter into the most important friendship of your life. So please give us a call. Toll-free number, you see it on your screen, 877, and then the two words, His Will, 877-HIS-WILL. Ask one of our friendly operators for your free copy of Steps to Christ. By the way, years ago, this book led me to Christ, and I pray that it will lead you to Him as well. So give us a call. And in the meantime, God, be with you every step of the way until we're here again next time.